the Map Room, a business owner's guide to the art of harnessing choice. The podcast that explores the world of business through the decisions owners face and the choices they create. Join the conversation with Paul Barnes and Stuart Brown as they walk through some of the toughest decisions you have to make while leading a business and how understanding the choices can be used to guide strategy and optimize outcomes. Brought to you by Map and a host of special guests. Well, hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Map Room podcast. I'm delighted to say that joining me as my guest today is Simon Landy, the Managing Director at Access. And Simon, it's my absolute pleasure to say hello and welcome. Thank you very much, Stuart. It's good to be here. Well, Simon, maybe by way of an introduction to our listeners, who or what is Access? I guess our main premise as a business is we're a digital transformation uh, and delivery business, uh, although our history takes us back into sort of traditional marketing, into digital marketing. Um, but really, we're here to, to consult, support and deliver solutions for our clients uh, to the best of our ability. OK, well, when we spoke around spring last year, Access had received some initial approaches almost out the blue. And at that time, you weren't planning to sell. You were unsure about what to do or maybe how to respond. Fast forward a few months to the new year in 2022, and you're now on this side of a successful transaction. So first and foremost, congratulations. And talk us through the whirlwind that's been the last nine months. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stuart. It absolutely has been a whirlwind, and it's really difficult to know where to start. Uh, The emotional highs and lows of the last, well, almost a year now uh, have been extreme. Uh, when we first spoke last spring, it was a pipe dream. Uh, Mark and I had talked about uh, a three-year plan to exit the business or certainly to, to get the business into shape that, so it was going to be of interest to, to potential suitors. Um, and we just weren't ready <laughs> for, uh, for this to come about as soon as it, as soon as it did. Um, and, you know, as, as we know, being sitting now the other side of a deal, it doesn't work the way we wanted it to work. It doesn't work perfectly, um, and um, in some ways, I'm glad it isn't. It didn't because it's it's worked quicker, and and we are where we are. Excellent. Well, hopefully, we'll cover some of that later as we speak. Um, but talk about the realities now. So, Access is now part of a larger group. Tell us about that group, Sideshow, and maybe some of the other companies that you now work within the group. Yeah, so Sideshow is a group of 10 agencies, 10 independent agencies, uh, in that we all, um, we all operate ind- independently of each other. Um, we're allowed to, you know, to go out to market as we see fit, but we get that benefit of a, of a bigger, larger group. Um, so it, it just gives us confidence and gives us the ability when we do go into potential businesses or into our existing clients to talk about a much, much wider um, sort of opportunity in terms of uh, the digital landscape. Uh, for example, uh, we're already working with a, an agency that specialises in Crow conversion rate optimization with one of our clients, which we would never have had the, the opportunity to do or the ability to do on our own. We probably would have freelanced it, uh, or we'd have you know partnered with a, a, a third party. So companies like that have just enabled us to expand our reach within our existing clients and just make us more valuable to those clients uh, which is something that um, you know I think if we'd done it ourselves to our own means it, it could have taken probably would have taken that two or three years which we had in mind. Interesting that that is really uh, fascinating to look at it from that side and I suppose that's the 
that's life within a group structure maybe for the business, as you've said there. But what has a group structure maybe given your team and maybe you in terms of your role? Has that changed any? It is changing, I would say. I don't I don't think immediately it changed. I think immediately it was very much business as usual. It was very much carry on as, as you were. Um, but really what it's done, I think, in the in the sort of medium term, which I think we're getting to a few months into it, um, is it's giving me the opportunity to sort of slightly sit on the business rather than in the business, that classic term where for the last however many years I've been in the business. So I'm now sitting slightly higher and on the business. And it's given me the opportunity to look around the group and look at opportunities for our clients uh, and see whether opportunities within other agency clients for us and our and our services again you talked there about um being able to now work on the business not in the business which you know this is not a theorist and and i've said this a few times but lots of people do talk about that and, and the ability to as you say work on the business one thing that i found fascinating when we first spoke about this chat is you referred to the outcome 2022 the year i became an employee again so in one way, you're saying this has given me a chance now to, if you like, act in a more senior way. But at the same time, I became an employee again. So after owning and successfully running your own business for now, what is more than 20 years, how much did that factor in decision making? And how has the reality of that consequence been for you? Good question. Um I didn't really think much about it at the time. You know, the time of the deal, it, it, it wasn't really something that was, was high on, on my radar in terms of this this transition from owner to employee. And as I say, I think initially, uh, for the first sort of few months, it probably didn't feel much different. But, but now um, I'm more accountable. Uh, I need to be more accountable for my actions. I need to be more accountable for my team's actions. I need to be more accountable um, for my clients' actions, uh, which historically rested very much with me and my and my business partner mark so i think that's why i'm describing it very much as as i'm now an employee because i guess that's what everybody's had to do for me for the last however many years um but it does take some getting used to um and not always in a bad way uh you know to have a group of peers that i can i can connect with i can talk to i can um i can share ideas and thoughts with is, is something i have i have wanted uh, probably for the last four or five years, and and now I've got that, and I've got you know ten other MDs at nine other MDs mm. at agencies um, that we can collaborate with, which is which is great. Mm. So, sounds it. Um, I'd say often um, you're saying there. You've mentioned collaboration there, and I understand the point that says I'm now in a um, I'm not on my own. I'm now in a group. There's nine other MDs, um, and and you mentioned as I say their collaboration. Often acquisitions lead to cultural change and challenges, and often in a, in a, in we say an agency group, there's often the competitive element. So, is this something you've had to face in your new cultural challenge? Absolutely not, and and probably one of the most important issues that we um, addressed when we were when, you know, when we were going through this deal was just making sure culturally the fit was as close to hundred percent as you could get. It was really, really important to me, to Mark, to our team and to our clients that we we actually felt that they were going to be the right fit for us. You know, to to stand up in front of your entire team and tell them that you've now got, um, you know, you're now part of a larger group 
it had to be somebody that we both felt confident that it was the right thing to do. So culture was right at the top of our list of important uh, items when it came when it came to this deal, and it's it's absolutely been borne out. We're all very similar. Um, the the attitude of the other managing directors and the other teams, not just managing directors, the teams is very very collaborative. Um, and in fact, we've got we've got joint work now, which we're working on with um, three of the other agencies, and it's an entirely collaborative uh, approach. Well, I can certainly see that one consequential outcome of being part of a large group is that of opportunity. And you mentioned collaboration there. So, what opportunities do you think maybe exist now for you and your team that maybe you wouldn't have had had you remained a standalone agency? I think that's that's a really easy one. We've got um, a number of clients who were coming to us asking for services that we just didn't offer. Um, and and the, the threat for us there is they were going to go to other people. They were going to go to our competitors. They were going to go to groups that offered a much, much wider um, set of services. So the fact that we can now offer that almost complete suite of, of sort of digital services just makes those conversations so much, so much easier. And we've put a number of uh, other agencies in front of our clients, and some of the other agencies have put us in front of their clients. The collaboration is 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 there in existing customers, but we also recently pitched together with one of the other agencies for a new piece of work, and we won it. Excellent, excellent. So. Let's now maybe talk about, so again, that's what I would call consequential. Let's talk about some of the things you had to think about beforehand. So when you and I first started to talk around this and the kind of decisions that we thought maybe you'd face this process, I explained the importance of knowing the personal outcomes you want before you even start a journey like this. Now, these, of course, may be very personal, private, and Simon, and we don't want you to share anything you're uncomfortable to share, but where you can, talk us through the kind of decisions that you and your partner had to consider. Timing, I guess, was 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 absolutely a key one. You know, we we as I said before, we built out this plan, which was three years, get us to twenty twenty four, get get a business to what we thought was going to be a value, then go out to market, then then seek that 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 opportunity. Um, so the timing of it um, worked for me because I'm not getting any younger. So I think I think that was sort of um, very important. Um, but again, I think I've mentioned it before that that fit so that it, it worked for everybody the whole everybody that's involved in access i think that was um a, a very very important piece to us um i think knowing that we slotted in to a network not network we're not a network we're a group the fact that we slotted into to a group um in in a really good space was really important mm. to us as well you know what we we didn't want to be just another agency that made up the numbers. We didn't want to be a me too. We wanted to sit in a in a in a in our own space within a network that could offer us the value that these different agencies offer us. Um, their client list is very impressive, so I think that was quite important to actually see where they've come from. In fact, the the CEO, um, uh, my boss. Um, it comes from a sort of creative agency background, as does I, as does Mark. So I think that that sort of similarity of personality and of culture and of, of background, that worked very, very well for us as well. I mean, all of that sounds almost too perfect. Um, and I'm interested in understanding the sort of prioritisation. So when you're looking at this and... You're looking to say, you know, if I go down this route, what's going to 
what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my team. You've mentioned there also maybe clients. So how do you prioritise that thinking? And obviously, you've, I'm only here talking to you, Simon, but how in line or otherwise were those priorities maybe with the other shareholders of the business? I think we took a long time and we... We spent a lot of time with each other, two of us, myself and Mark, um, and we spent a lot of time looking at this offer. Uh, we had, we'd had two offers at the time. We had another company um, show interest in us who'd shown interest in us before uh, the pandemic had started, actually. Um, and we just felt that the, the, the cultural fit, the, the range of services provided by the group, um, uh, the earnout period, I mean, that's quite an interesting one. It's quite a short earnout period, which... Um, isn't always uh, common in in this in our sector. I would say quite unusual. Yeah, and the ability to see the connection we could make at every level within our business within their organisation, I think that felt very exciting to us. And that they were relatively um, young. You know, we're getting in reasonably early, and mm. I know there's ten agencies in this in this group, but it still feels like we're getting in on the ground floor. And again, I think that that was one of the sort of key things that appealed to us. We can help shape and develop where, where this group goes. It's fascinating there, Simon, that you talk about timing and being in at the right time. And the reason I say that is the consequences sometimes of when you decide to join that group. So I was invited to a lunch. I'm going back now, probably might even be four years. And this was a very acquisitive group, um, at the time a non-UK group, that were buying up lots of agencies. And they had a very, um, I would say, a slide rule model. This is how we value your business, and this is how we're going to put together. And essentially, we are going to be a X million pound uh, group by this point in the future. That was all very interesting and very, and, and very uh, easy to see. But my question was, if it was me, I wouldn't want to have been the last acquisition in the family. Because at some point, that equity holders or that management team or whoever the funders are are going to want to get out at a point in time and I suddenly thought that the value there was getting in and out at the right time and not being the last person to join the group so I think your your point there is um, fascinating in terms of anyone who comes up against a similar opportunity it almost I guess say it sounds ideal you've heard me say before that you know I often say selling your business is akin to buying a house uh, and perfection is never easy to find. How close do you think you've come to that ideal? It certainly sounds like a long way towards it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because they might listen to this. Um, you know, it, it, the timing was good. Um, it, it's a great team that we're working with. Um, it, it was a very easy decision, uh, and a decision that that Mark and I, you know, every day feel feel you know really pleased that we make the right decision. So it is, you know, it's, it is as ideal. For us, it was as ideal as it gets. Um, obviously, the, the next two years, the earnout period, um, how it goes in terms of the integration and the, and the sharing of, uh, of, of knowledge and of clients and of, and, of, and of talent, that will tell us whether it was, you know, a complete 100% success. Well, it certainly sounds like, to me, the, the classic win-win. Um, so, again, I think that's fantastic to hear. Let's turn now to the process um, because the decision-making and sometimes the outcomes are easily definable. They're easy to see. Um, I wanted this, I got this, or I did or I didn't get this. But the process is often 
the most difficult part for anybody going through this journey. So in terms of the process you went through, what was the most surprising part and maybe what appeared left field? I think it's an understatement <laughs> that this process is difficult. Oh, my goodness. Um, everybody tells you. Everybody says due diligence. Watch out for the due diligence. It's going to be awful. It's going to be a nightmare. You, you're going to not sleep. You're going to um, meet yourself coming backwards. And it's all absolutely true. It, it, it was so, so tough. Um, and, and in spite of some great advice, some great support, some great teamwork, um, it, was, it, it, was, it was very, very difficult. Where specifically do you think you felt unprepared for that? I genuinely thought we were in a good sh- we were in good shape i definitely i don't genuinely thought we were in good shape i thought we we had good records i thought our our, our projections were clear i uh, you know I, th- I thought we had we had what people would need to to buy an agency of of our of, of our sort of um size and scale um and i think that that whole process just i mean it could be easier we could make it easier I also think the advisors could make it easier as well. Um, and I think the other way, the other main area we weren't prepared was um, day one of having exited, having sold. It, 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 it is just really, really weird. In terms of we weren't ready for um, the reality of life, we weren't ready for the emotion. One thing that um, I often say to people is I watched an amazing documentary a few years ago and it was Glenn McCrory who was a northeast based cruiserweight and he became world champion and he said no one prepares you to be world champion I trained for five years to become world champion not be a world champion and it's almost that it what's that emo is it the emotional hit or is it the I've now got to tell everybody what I've been doing behind their backs the last six months it's both it's both because it <laughs> You expect an emotional hit, but actually, it's 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 underwhelming. Actually, because the the the, the Monday morning after you know the deal completed on I don't know, seven eight o'clock on a Friday night, uh, by which time you're exhausted, you're up, you're drained beyond all all reason. So you get into the office on a Monday morning, um, and and it's all still there, and everything's still the same, and nothing's changed, and and then you think right. I've now got to start telling people about this that you know people's livelihoods have been you know need I need to reflect and tell them how it's going to affect them very little to be honest but they need to understand yeah. that I need to take them on that journey so to shift from having gone through this process which was 7 days a week um 20 hours a day to suddenly going right now I need to reflect that onto my team uh, but in a really positive um, upbeat uh, way was uh, was was very 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 hard emotion- emotionally. Yeah, I, I have been there, Simon, and I absolutely can uh, appreciate that. Given the experience that you now have, would you look at this differently if you could wind the clock back? Yes, in a num- in a number of ways, not in some, but but in others. And and I and I also think uh, the fact that it happened quite quickly in terms of within our three-year plan was actually quite good for us in some respects as well actually so I think you know if we'd had three years we probably would have addressed some of the some of the things that would change but we didn't get that that opportunity but we definitely 
um, be better our admin. Um, you know, the the detail we have to provide in terms of um, you know client contracts, staff contracts, um, uh, ev- every kind of contract that that we have with suppliers, with um, uh, phone companies, you know, with everybody. We, we thought we we're pretty good at that. But in terms of the actual detail we we had to go to, we were we were way off. So it would definitely be um, be be stronger in terms of in terms of the admin. Um, I would involve more people in the process. I think right at the beginning, um, you know, Mark and I, um, we, I guess we probably didn't think it was going to happen. So maybe we didn't tell anyone for that reason. But we kept it very much to ourselves. So all of the onus was on us to go and find all the information, seek out what what the uh, both the sort of legal and financial teams wanted. You know, if we'd invited our our sort of next sort of tier of management earlier, they could have helped. Mm. They could have. Come. And when we did suddenly start inviting quite late on, they did help. And so I definitely think that's something that that um, that I would change. Um, and talk to the people that are buying you throughout the whole process, um, because. It will help you on day one because on day, on day one afterwards you already know what's expected of you. You know what what's needed. But also, if there are things that are, that you're being asked of throughout the due diligence process, they can often smooth that over. They get it. They've they've been, they've sat where I've sat, and they understand what it's what it is to 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 be in my in my seat. So for them, you know, there's a couple of times where we went to them when you know your legal team have asked for this, yeah. and they've gone. Well, you don't have to do that. I know you don't have to do that because I've sat where you've sat. Just, just have that rapport with them, um, and I think that helps both through the process and it definitely helps, you know, from day one. And, and we we could and should have done that more. I think you mentioned something earlier that said sometimes the process can be made easier. Um, I'd like to understand that bit now in terms of you know the outside help that you get because I think there is. A point where most acquirers want it to happen, as you say. But my own experience has been sometimes when you get into the due diligence process, whether that's financial or legal, it almost becomes adversarial. And therefore, you know, when you're in the professional services sector, such as we are at MAP or in the legal sector, I often give advice to business owners that say, you know, I think it's really important to get your partners working with you on this journey as early as you can. But very often, um, to put it bluntly, Simon, that falls on deaf ears or people are sceptical and they think, as you say, you know, that there's uh, there's a reason we would be doing this and, and we can wait. Um, what would your advice be to anyone starting the same process this year? To listen to you, basically, because we could have taken advice sooner. We probably should have taken advice sooner. Um but probably like most companies, you, you just don't know it's going to happen. You don't know that you don't know there's going to be an end result. So you you tend to try and do as much as you can on your own until you need the advice. So I would definitely advise people to speak to people. Obviously, I spoke to you. I, I spoke to a few people, um, you know, that I'm connected with in the industry, and that advice was was fantastic at the time. But we probably should have paid for some advice a bit earlier as well. Um, and then the advice we did get, um, particularly financial uh, advice from uh, Moore and Smalley, um, was fantastic. Supported fantastically by David at, at MAP. Um, he also might be listening. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> hi David. Uh, <laughs> um, and it, and it's and it costs it costs a lot of money to do it. But you can't you can't do this stuff on your own. You you cannot underestimate 
um, the amount of, of knowledge and know-how and, and nows you need mm-hmm. to, to get this right. And, and I'm only going to do it once. So um, I, I wanted, you know, we got great advice. We probably could have had it a bit earlier, but in the end it was, it was well worth it, worth every penny. I think what most people don't realise, Sam, is I got into this business as the non-accountant and having gone through those exercises and sold a number of businesses beforehand and felt very much the same way and felt that um, we're all guilty of not knowing what we don't know. Um, you also mentioned something earlier, which I've absolutely done in the past, which is not tell anybody in case it might not happen. Um, however, one of the themes of this podcast is talking about the concept of consequential decision making. But the consequence of not giving yourself the best chance to succeed is the thing that you're always going to beat yourself up about afterwards. And that's what I do say to people. They often query about, you know, how many people do we tell? You said something about in, involving your senior management team. I'm a big believer now having done it. First time round, I, t- I spoke to nobody um but having done it again absolutely gone down that route and i just think it makes the whole process easier and less um feeling that you're on your own in that challenge really you mentioned um something there about admin and something i am interested in Uh, again having got into this is how much do you feel having cloud-based solutions that not just accounting but obviously cloud-based accounting and other admin how much do you think that would have helped well it did help you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, so most of this deal was done remotely. Um, I think I only met our lawyer two weeks ago, and that's like seven months after the after the deal being done. So everything was done remotely. So everything had to be done in the cloud uh, or via Teams or via Zoom or whichever one was working right at, at, at the time. Um, so the cloud-based accounting, it, it's been great for us for the last four years anyway. You know, when, you know as soon as we, we moved to MAP, um, that was something that we was probably one of the reasons why we moved um, was we just had that opportunity to to look at what we wanted wherever we were, um, which we which, which we never had before that. Um, and then the the advice that we got off the back of it through David um, was was just dead simple, dead visible, dead clear, um, and and um, it just enabled us to make the decisions we needed to make or we were being asked to make. Mm. Uh, as part of the particular financial DD. Okay, so we've spoke quite a bit there, Simon, about timing, the opportunity of in itself, the time, the time to be involved in this, the group at the time. And I want to really go back to something that you have said to me before, maybe where timing and maybe the outcome wasn't exactly as, as you wanted it or was planned, which was one of the ways in which you prepared this business for a potential future sale was an EMI incentive scheme. Now, you said to me that maybe giving the time again, you wouldn't do that again. Talk us through that, because these are options that any business has, but they're not always appropriate for every business. Talk me through your experience and your thoughts on that. Yes. Um, and whilst I'm I'm delighted that um, you know, there, there were some EMI holders that benefited from the sale, uh, together with, with Mark and myself, I just felt... It didn't work for us, basically. Um, we set the scheme up uh, in December 2020. It was part of our three-year plan. We'd allowed for a sort of three-year growth um, sort of plan for the business. We'd allowed the MI holders to vest shares over a period of time. Um, and because the sale happened so quickly, I mean, it happened within seven or eight months of that, 
They didn't get the chance to vest, in, you know, the entire their shares. They didn't get time to contribute um, to the growth of the business over the three years, which we'd hoped for. Um, and therefore, I don't think it really worked um, as far as as far as that's concerned. Um, and then I guess because we didn't get personal practical advice we went through a portal which was which worked very well for us actually um but we didn't really understand some of the nuances of the scheme and there were a couple in particular that um uh, upset people one of which was um that anyone who sells shares in a business their name appears on company's house and people were um they didn't want that you know they're quite keen not to not to have their, their name associated with um you know with it with, with the share sale um and the second one was we had to inform them much sooner than than the, when the deal took place. So they knew probably three or four weeks out when the deal took place. At this point, the deal still might not have happened. Yep. Um, so it was just really, really important for us to, to, you know, to take them on that journey with us, which was which in hindsight for me personally, um, I probably would have preferred not to. I'm really pleased that. These people got got EMI mm. shares and they they got some money out of the deal. Don't get me wrong; it's not about them; it's about yes. the scheme itself. No, I, I, yeah, I yeah. get that totally. Yeah. And it's also they say it's the fact that when do you tell them and how does it work for them as people? And as you say, actually, some sometimes them understanding their names are going to be on companies' houses is not what they signed up for in the first place, and all those things can change. So. Absolutely. Simon, I've just got to thank you so much for your time. I think it's been an absolutely fascinating look into the last 12 months access but really delving into the decisions that you were faced with the decisions you made and the outcomes that you got either planned or maybe non-planned and i'm sure that all our listeners are going to appreciate your story and specifically your openness so it's certainly been a pleasure to have you join us in the mat room today i want to thank you and i want to wish you every continued success thank you Stuart. i've enjoyed that cheers the Map Room has been brought to you by Map, the outsourced finance function for digital agencies. Subscribe via your usual podcast app to never miss an episode.